0: Hello and welcome to a 4th of July edition of the Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in our old studio today is...
1: Jason Berzenbaum of the St.
0: Louis Beacon. And
2: And Joe Manis with the St. Louis Beacon.
0: We're going back to our roots here, just for this week, without any guests. No
2: no fancy schmancy studio this is a nice studio, very nice. But I <laughs> yeah, mean, what it's... are you trying to say about our studio? No, Charlie? the point is the other one, it, it's the big one. It's the big one.
1: It's so no so, so no guests, though. We will have one on next week.
0: Yes. We took this week off because it's a holiday week. We didn't want to make anybody come in, uh, and it, it gives us a chance to talk a little bit about the news that we haven't been able to talk about. Yes. Because we've been Correct. having guests on. Correct. One of the biggest pieces of news that's come about in the span of us doing the new show is Governor Jay Nixon has frozen $400 million from the state budget. For Uh,
2: the fiscal year that began Monday.
0: Yes. And basically what he's maintaining is if it's possible for them to override the veto on the income tax cuts, if revenues are going to de- decrease, then spending has to be decreased as well. Republicans are maintaining that it's just a political game. Jason, do you think as a result of this that the income it, that the income tax bill can be overwritten at all? No.
1: And I didn't think it was going to happen before, and I don't think it'll happen now because after the the governor made this announcement, Um, Nate Walker of Kirksville told the Kirksville paper that he was either leaning against or opposed to overriding the veto. So that's another dropped Republican vote, in addition to the three that voted against it, who probably didn't have much incentive to vote to override it before this happened because of the prescription drug thing, which yep. we talked about yeah, ad nauseum. Yeah, that
2: prescription drug t- tax yep. increase, sales tax a- increase. And, and now,
1: them. you know, and, and that also, there are also the three Democrats who we talked about, too. I, the numbers are just not there in the House. And I think that this type of thing, while it might be political hardball on the behalf of Nixon, and many Republicans are saying it goes against the, the state constitution for various reasons, from a political standpoint... I think it's just another source of leverage that's going to make it harder for this to be overridden.
2: Well, I'm not sure that it goes against the state constitution. Now, I'm no lawyer, uh, but uh, if you go back 20 years, again, when you guys were little kids, uh, when uh, John Ashcroft was governor and the legislature was democratically run, Ashcroft, it was not unusual at all for him to withhold a lot of money in the beginning of the year And then he'd dole it out as he saw that the um, revenues were going to keep pace with the expenditures. And it used to drive the Democrats nuts because they would come up with these budgets that would get through the General Assembly. And he might sign it, but he did a lot of line item vetoes, but he did a lot of withholds, which are two different things. There's the line item vetoes where they can cut stuff out for good. Then there's the withholds, which is what Nixon did, where the governor basically sits on the money and then if it looks like it'll end up balanced, he can he or she can uh then release it. And
1: just to add, Linda Lubering basically made that exact <clears throat> point when I asked her that question. So the budget director. Yeah, the yes. budget directors. But continue. Right.
2: So it while um divided government in in some ways the divided government we have now in Missouri is like a mirror image of what we had Twenty years ago, when Ashcroft was governor, because you had the Democrats controlling the General Assembly, and as I said, this was rather uh, common. Now, what the Republicans are looking at is the fact that the um, budget for FY 2013, which the fiscal year ended on Sunday, that now they haven't they haven't put out a final figure yet. I'm eagerly waiting it, but uh, it, it's going to have a surplus. How much? That's unclear. But that surplus doesn't automatically roll into the FY 2014 budget. Or what it does, that money, in effect, goes into the Rainy Day Fund Mm -hmm. or some other special funds for, quote, savings. So that's the way the um, state budget laws work. So it's not like that money would be readily available for 2014. The General Assembly would basically have to earmark it.
0: And and they actually put it out. Um, just a couple hours ago um, for uh, fiscal year, uh, it increased it by 10.1 percent compared to 2012 from 7.34 billion last year to 8.08 billion this year. Hmm. So it is it is, in fact, up by a considerable about rate.
2: 700 million.
1: Yeah, but I, I to to kind of jump on Joe's point. I believe that in order to tap the money from the rainy day fund, you need like what two thirds of the legislature yes. to vote to do that. I could be wrong on that. My phone is on airplane mode, so I can't <laughs> look it up right away. But the point that Joe was making is you can't automatically take that money out and and do stuff with it. Um, the 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 point is, you know, there there are probably going to be bills that Nixon has vetoed that. The legislature has a much better chance of overriding than this one, but it does seem like... Well,
0: there are so many for them to choose from. Which yeah, has...
2: he's, he's done about seven or eight already. In the,
1: in the last day or two. Yeah,
2: yeah. W- 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 which is unusual to have so many. Now, some of them, I think, are slam dunk that he'll probably... Uh,
1: you know, upho- it'll be the, upheld. They'll
2: be upheld. But then there's some others that I think... and In fact, one of the ones that I didn't notice because I had been out of town for a few days... He signed the uh, pharmacy conscience bill. Yes. And uh, that allows pharmacies not to stock anything that they philosophically don't want to. It's not limited just to uh, abortion or contraceptive stuff. It could be other things. Uh, he signed that. I think he was assuming that if he didn't, that he would probably have been overridden. Yeah. Uh, so, but but he's, he's, he's vetoed several uh, bills that were directed at labor. Uh, the workers' comp bill is the most latest where the legislature was calling for setting up a statewide database that employers could tap into to look at who had filed, which is rather interesting. Yes, to the point. language
0: of his veto was very interesting. Yes, Joe. because he, he was having fun with that. Yeah, because he's <laughs>
2: basically taking aim in the fact that they spent like the last two months of the session upset about what they perceived as um, a potential database of concealed carry uh, permit. Operator, owners. That might be um, viewed by the public or somebody else. Uh, the governor denied that was the case. But in any event, they were very outraged by that at the same time that they set up this mm-hmm. one that, that employers could look at. So he vetoed that. He also vetoed um, some stuff on the uh, prevailing wage, that they were trying to change the prevailing wage in rural Missouri. There There's several things like that labor-related that he um vetoed.
1: And and I just want to this is kind of the point I said I was going to make before the show. He vetoed a bill, and I don't have it verbatim in front of me, that would restrict anybody from restricting any celebration of a federal holiday, mainly because he did not want to overturn or counteract fireworks ordinances. And what will be interesting to me as somebody who's been following the foreclosure mediation Armageddon bill very closely, which is, you know, my moniker for a bill that gets rid of foreclosure ordinances in St. Louis County and St. Louis City is whether he uses the same reasoning if he ends up vetoing that, because, you know, there have been some Democratic senators who said that the Nixon's office was going to veto that as of 12... Oh, actually, it's yeah. 104 right now. I haven't gotten any word about that, but that's the one I'm kind of waiting for to see what happens on that, because... It's a it's an important issue for St. Louis City and St. Louis County. But one bill that he didn't veto that I guess we we're going to segue in was a bill that seems to reverse this entire scanning of of documents thing at DOR. Is that kind of what? Yeah. You saw, now Joe?
2: there now there his press secretary uh, respectfully disagrees. Says this is this not encounter? But I've got so many. Uh, quotes from the governor on my little recording device of him defending the scanning and retaining of birth certificates and other things that people have to bring in before they can get a driver's license. They've had to do that in Missouri. Uh, It's it's been much stricter since 2005. Now, this meshes with the federal real ID law, which is aimed at preventing Uh, making it more difficult for would-be terrorists to get driver's license. Now, the legislature passed a law in 2009 that was aimed at keeping Missouri not from following the Real ID. But on the other hand, I think the Nixon administration, while he signed that thing back in 2009, I think they're trying to comply with Real ID in some way because otherwise driver's licenses couldn't be used. Missouri driver's licenses might not be accepted by the Federal Department of Homeland Security, for you to get at an airport or other things. Uh, so, but in any event, all of a sudden he signed the the bill that bars the re, the scanning and retaining of those documents. It it agrees they have to be presented to get the driver's license, but they can't scan or uh, retain them except for, and this is a key provision: people who are not citizens. Hmm. So there is a little caveat in there so it may they may have decided that that he may have decided that was enough
1: or you know that was probably an issue that almost certainly would have been overridden if he would have vetoed it
2: yeah so. but it also i think could have ended up in the courts somehow too yeah
0: so the, do, oh. do you think that this puts the controversy behind now
1: well apparently the people that have been kind of hammering on this issue. They're, apparently, investigations are going to continue. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Well,
2: I think it's a little more complicated. I think they are going to continue it. But, like, uh, Speaker Jones, who appointed this panel, which does not include just legislators. It includes other people, sheriffs and some others, including a couple uh, law enforcement people from the St. Louis area, uh, to probe into this whole question of the document copying and the cold concealed carry thing. But he tried to subpoena the governor's staff late last week and a judge, a Republican appointed, a a Republican elected judge, because in outstate, they're elected.
1: They're elected. right? Uh,
2: Judge Green and Jeff City, and he ruled with the governor that they didn't have the standing to do that. He's going to hold a hearing later in the month. But that sort of sends a signal that it may be more difficult for the legislature to follow through with some of the. Uh, efforts or tactics, however you want to phrase it, that they were hoping to do, which would be similar to some of the stuff that's been going on in Congress. But I think the fact that they may have been denied veto power, I mean, uh, subpoena power. And one of the uh, issues being posed is that it's more difficult for them to subpoena if it's a body that is not just legislators. So it gets all complicated. But I wonder if him signing this doesn't really take the wind out of the sails it, of the it whole could. thing.
1: It could. And and one veto one bill that he vetoed that I think has a chance of being on the list of overridden is that bill that redefines like misconduct with unemployment, which I think he vetoed yesterday. Yes he did. I think that business groups were I think they put up both put out statements that they were disappointed in that. And I, I kind of heard through the peripheral, that that was considered a pretty important bill for business groups. So that while that didn't get a whole lot of attention, maybe as much as the anti-labor bill or this tax cut bill, that one might actually be something I could see being put up for, for an override. Whether it has the votes or not, I don't know. Right,
2: because there was two different votes, and one of them was veto-proof, but the other was not. It's
1: going to really depend on whether they see that as a priority. But I would say as of now, that probably has a better chance of being overridden than the tax cut bill, which I think Unless there's a major change, um, I don't know who has the votes in the House to do it, but we'll see. It's it's only July, right? So things correct. Could things
2: happen. They'll they'll have meetings, and it depends on whether or not the Rep- in effect because Republicans have such a large majority. It's if the Republican caucus sticks together.
0: Well, while we are pontificating about state uh, government and politics here, we've actually had another person who has been vocal.
2: Yeah, and this is uh, this is unusual because members of Congress generally try to stay out of state stuff.
0: Yes. To so a point. uh Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill was it yesterday or the day it before? It was yesterday. That? She was, yesterday. was in yesterday. Springfield. Uh, she called out the state legislature for for not passing a transportation tax and and called them out for what she called silly bills like the Agenda 21 and Shirley. law. She did law that definitely
1: in, in at the Jefferson Jackson Days. Yes. So yes.
0: It's interesting because Senator Roy Blunt tries Pretty hard not to get involved in state politics. Whenever we ask him about state politics, he gives the canned line of, "Well, we'll I'll talk about state politics whenever we solve everything on the national <laughs> right, level." Right. Which
1: it's actually, and I, and I was mentioning this during the interim. It's actually a mirror image. In Illinois before his stroke, Mark Kirk loved talking about state level politics, especially Illinois' crippling debt and you know its pension problems. Dick Durbin seems less reticent to talk about that. Unless it's about East St. Louis club closing times, then he enjoys talking about that. (laughs) But to this particular issue of McCaskill, she came out swinging against the legislature for not putting this one cent sales tax increase for transportation on the ballot. Um, I think I don't have it in front of me, but she basically said that the bridges and roads in the state need much needed repairs. And apparently she thinks this is the conduit to do it. We had John Lamping on last week. He was one of the filibusterers
0: who who
1: blocked this. I do think it's interesting. And Joe and I were talking about this offline. And I'm sure she's going to chime in on this. But earlier in the session, Democrats were very critical of Republicans for including a sales tax increase paired with an income tax decrease, albeit a permanent one. This one is a 10-year one. But now, you know, there are now some prominent Democrats are attacking Republicans for not passing an even larger sales tax increase, albeit a targeted one. Joe, do you think that there's some, you know, disconnect in rhetoric on this or do you think there's con- still some consistency here?
2: Well, I think it reflects a couple things. First, um, the business community, especially in the St. Louis area was very big on this. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think in some ways this is a calculated attempt by some Democrats to be on the same side as a number of these major business types in the St. Louis area, many of whom have often donated to Republicans, but also back some Democrats. And some of those business leaders are pretty irked with Senator Lamping and and others who had been at the forefront of this filibuster. So by McCaskill... Uh, saying, listen, I was for this. This would have been good at least to ask the voters about it. It puts her on the same side with the RCGA and some of the others, which tends to then put her in better graces with some of these uh, people.
0: Let let me read her statement here. This is from KSMU, which is uh, our sister NPR station. They're busy. They've got Sharia law and Agenda 21 and nullification of federal laws that they can deal with, but not adequately funding education, transportation in this state. So if it goes on the ballot, hopefully we can all work to get it on the ballot and let the voters decide. We cannot have a strong economy in Missouri if we do not have an ongoing commitment to investing in our highways, bridges, and even our locks and dams.
1: Yeah, beyond just, you know, those the, the the thing that i brought up before i think as as i kind of alluded to earlier this is not an idea that is universally popular among democrats and it's not right. an a, a idea that's universally unpopular among republicans i think it's interesting to note that if lamping were to run again which as we found out last week is 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 not Unclear. clear at this point jill shoop voted against this too Scott Ogilvie, who's an independent but really kind of a Democrat, really, in the Board of Aldermen, has been extremely outspoken against this because it doesn't do enough for mass transit. So I think this is an issue that doesn't really necessarily cut on the traditional partisan lines. It's a lot of things. And I do think that while even if it gets on the ballot, which is, I think, still a possibility, it could still be an initiative petition, the fact, even if it's a temporary one, that it's such a large sales tax increase... Could make it tough to pass. They didn't pass cigarette tax increase that would no. only have been they for cigarette people. they've tried it three people. times. they tried it three times. This would be for everybody. Years. And this would yeah. be in, in St. Louis and St. Louis County, where there are already is sales tax. Um, I don't know if that's going to be necessarily something that they're going to want to vote for. But on the other hand, to kind of go on the other side, the transportation needs, I think, in this state are undeniably substantial. Yeah. So they could possibly put forth that A- you need to refurbish I-70.
2: And and widen it. I mean, this is a big thing with rural farmers. So in some ways, this helps McCaskill or other Democrats who are in favor of it to uh, put themselves on the same side as some rural farmers who have been wanting to see I-70. And as I mentioned, the business leaders. So it also makes her look somewhat moderate. Because, you know, this was something that some Republicans had been pushing. I'm not advocating for or against it. I'm just looking at the uh, strategic part of it. It also reflects a couple other things. In the last month, uh, this is something that had been rumbling underneath the surface for some time. Uh, Senator McCaskill and Attorney General Chris Coster have sort of taken the reins of the state Democratic Party. Uh, They're going to have whoever the next chairman is, is going to be one of their choices. Um, Even though the governor is the titular head of the state party, they're sort of taking uh, over, I'm assuming, with some sort of acquiescence from Nixon, but in part because they want to see the party more aggressive going into 2014. And this may be part of that, you know, of McCaskill weighing in on that. And you got to remember, she wanted to be governor. She ran for governor in 2014, I mean, in, in, in 2004. 2004. She lost to Matt Blunt, but I heard her um, at a commencement address for my son a couple years later, um, where she had said that she had always dreamed, since she was a little girl, of being the first woman governor of Missouri. Well, instead, she's the first elected U.S. senator woman from Missouri, because yeah. Jane Carnahan was technically appointed right. after her husband won posthumously. Right. Yeah. So uh, so I, Carnahan. So anyway, Claire McCaskill is the first uh, directly elected woman in, in the U.S. Senate from Missouri. But in any case, I think this does reflect her stronger role in state politics. And, you know, this in, isn't in
1: I actually remember very vividly when I was in Columbia that I asked her just randomly about what she thought of Matt, the Matt Blunt email situation, and she just, like, hammered him on it. So this isn't necessarily a new thing. I think it just kind of shows that Senator McCaskill pays attention to what goes on in state in the state legislature and is willing to comment on it. And, you know, someone like Ann Wagner, who's a congresswoman, I know she's very engaged not only on state-level politics but on county-level politics. So I think it's just a sign that some people in Washington pay very close attention to what's going on, what, like talking about it. Well, and I think but, that's yeah. it, it's great for reporters. You yeah, because
2: Wagner, for example, who's the congresswoman for the 2nd District, used to be the Republican Party chairman in the state for years uh, before she became a national figure in the National Party. Anne Wagner is among those people who, and to, uh, uh, to a smaller degree, blunt, mm-hmm. Roy blunt, are very much interested and very much involved behind the scenes in the state Republican Party um, stuff.
1: But some, like I mean, Blunt, as you mentioned, Roy Blunt, while I'm sure he pays attention, he's a very smart and Mm -hmm. sharp individual. I've always heard, too, that just from listening to interviews, when you ask him a state legislative related question, he usually kind of, you know, doesn't answer it like that. But he
2: had been Secretary of State for eight years, and he ran for governor back in 1992. And came a hair's breadth into being the Republican nominee, and there are some who still believe uh, that if he had been the Republican nominee, it was a Democratic wave that year with Bill Clinton. But it Blunt, might have, Blunt might have lost anyway, but it would have been real, much closer between him and Mel Carnahan. But He's, McCaskill yeah.
0: also said there are a lot of Todd Akin wannabes in Jefferson City. <laughs> um, well, I, I think I did. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think she's, I kind of,
2: like, she's more political. I think she's yes. at behaving in a more political manner than Nixon is. I just Nixon want,
0: is known as more of a behind-the-scenes. I do yes.
1: want to point this out because I wrote a, a notes column about this, but there has been this kind of underlying theme from McCaskill and others that, hey, these Republicans are crazy. Let's you know elect Democrats. And maybe that's going to be the House. But it should be noted that the two top Democrats who are running for Senate, Schieffer and Ed Schieffer and mm-hmm. And uh Jeff Rorta, they voted for the Sharia law bill. They voted yeah. for this gun nullification bill. They voted for this tax cut. So it kind of goes on this this idea that, you know, they're just kind of trying to show how conservative they are in order to get. It. Now they don't agree with Republicans on everything. They don't agree sure. with them on unions. No, I think. They don't that's agree good point. with them on, you know, Medicaid. They don't agree with them on education. There are definitely differences, but
2: Um it, on, I think on it, the social issues. I think that...
1: it's worth pointing out, even if they is. they don't like me doing, and I think it's worth doing so, so send all your hate mail
0: my way. do you want to <laughs> give out your email again no <laughs> well uh, let's let's close it out here with a little bit of campaign finance St. Louis news. county
2: executive Charlie yeah. dooley,
0: yes, Woo. he received a one hundred thousand dollar check from libertarian billionaire Rex Singfield yesterday. Jason and I tweeted about it. Jason, I think you had a story about it. I it was a short story.
1: Yes, he gave a hundred thousand dollars to but Charlie it's not, Dooley. It's not too
0: surprising, though. No, it's not
1: surprising at all because he, he Singfield has been giving to Dooley for years now, including during his competitive race with Bill Corrigan in two thousand ten.
2: But but. Sinkfield rarely gives out such large single checks. He often has given out 50000 sometimes, it, it, but it's yeah. often rare for him to give 100000 at once. Now, of course, another big recipient has been Coster Yes, over the years. So there's a couple uh, Democrats who have benefited from Sinkfield's largest. It's large
1: more ass. than a couple. Well, it's yeah. actually yeah. a pretty long list, but no. it's just not as much as, th- as this.
2: Well, people who are going to be on the ballot in either 2014 or 2016. Yes. So, so I think uh, so the, so
0: this is noteworthy uh less of because Singfield, everything Sinkfeld does is somewhat newsworthy by nature of his his influence, but Dooley he's really stepped up his donation game well in I the think, past I think the, the question that a lot
1: yeah, months. I think a lot of questions that people have been asking about why Sinkfeld supports Dooley, and maybe this will be a question that Joe or I ask him is what Dooley could potentially do to further Sinkfeld's agenda because if you look at all the other people that he's given money to, it's very possible that they agree with Singfeld on a certain issue, like education, or getting rid of the income tax, or getting rid of the earnings tax. Now, some have speculated that it's about city-county unification here, but Dooley by himself can't do that. That would require a ballot initiative. So I think that's one of the questions. But I do think the other thing is, you know, Singfeld giving money to people... Has typically been a way other Democrats have attacked Democrats in primaries, and who knows, Dooley might get attacked for this. But I do notice that when, for example, he gave a lot of money to Shane Scholler, albeit more than Republican, Koster, yes, more than Coster, Democrats went nuts over that and said that it was going to be, you know, corrupting influence. He gave I think about four hundred thousand dollars to Coster in this election cycle. Granted, not as great of a percentage, but I never heard that type of argument from Democrats on that. So. I don't know whether there is a different reaction when people get money to, from Singfeld, but I think there there were some people on Twitter, as we saw yesterday, that were a little perturbed by Dooley by getting this. But I imagine if he's the nominee next year, if he beats a primary opponent, I don't think Democrats are not going to vote for him. Well, what do you think?
2: Dooley has maintained for a while, several years, uh, that the donations from from Singfeld simply represent – Uh, the fact that Sinkfeld agrees with him on good government. I mean, this is the exact words that Dooley has used to me several times when I've asked him about Mm -hmm. a particular Sinkfeld donation. Uh, There's another link. Uh, Sinkfeld's chief money raiser, uh, former key aide, uh, John Temperita. he's a lawyer in the St. Louis area, also has done work, legal work, for Sinkfeld and some of Sinkfeld's there's various conservative groups that Sinkfield has a hand in helping right. to fund. So there's a connection there of Temperiti, who's a prominent Democrat, former state Democratic Party chairman. Mm-hmm. But Temperiti also is kind of from the old school in uh, the St. Louis area. He's a Democrat that actually is conservative on some f- um, social issues mm-hmm. and some things um, Some things. Pr- Potentially, like education or other things, where he might actually be on the same page with with Sinkfeld, yeah. potentially.
1: And, you know, money in Missouri politics is kind of a big big game, so to speak. I mean, big donations get thrown around a lot from both mainly big Republican donors but yes. also Democratic donors.
2: But not as many Democratic donors. They don't yeah. have that many big but, I, but whenever
1: come. Sinkfeld does anything like this, and I actually looked yesterday. I don't think he's actually made a lot of big donations this year. Right. This is actually probably the biggest one he's made to a candidate. I think it Well, does, he
0: also gave a lot to Slay.
1: Yeah. He gave him a lot of money to Slay via committee, as we said before yeah. during the, the mayor part. But I think it always draws attention. I think the fact that it was to a prominent Democrat, I think, shows that he doesn't always just give to Republicans and – you know, if it becomes an issue in a potential primary, I'm 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 sure that he'll have to answer for it. So. Well,
2: and, and I'm sure the Republicans, may, when they're looking for a candidate to run against Duly, and they haven't settled on anybody yet, uh, you just kind of wonder if they're going to try to get somebody who would be palatable to Singfeld. Just uh, I'm just throwing it out. Obviously,
1: here. Corrigan yeah. didn't wasn't Bill palatable Corrigan, enough a in because St. Louis he didn't get anything. But um, it it yeah. Anytime you can meld state politics and county politics, I I usually yammer on for a while. So
2: (laughs) thank you, Charlie
0: Dooley and Rex Sinkfeld for doing that. Yeah,
2: we're junkies.
0: (laughs) Well, I hope everyone is enjoying their Fourth of July. I'm sure that this is the soundtrack to your (laughs) fireworks show. Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, and
2: I'll be at the Webster Parade and I'll be spotting to see if there's any politicians. They usually have a ton of politicians in the Webster Parade. But it's an off year, so off years, some, some skip it. I, I already know of a couple who are skipping.
0: I'm, I'm going to be drinking at my house. so <laughs> I'm going to go see Nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you really? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's, I'm that's, not kidding. Yeah. Okay. That's,
2: okay, well, and right. I'm going to have my family over. So. All
0: right. Well, that should just about do it for this week's show.
1: We'll be back next week with a guest, Maria Chappelle-Nadal of University City, a state senator, a
0: Democrat. Until then, you can read all of my stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can read all of Joe and Jason's stories at stlbeacon.org. You can follow me on Twitter at at CSMcDaniel. You can follow Jason on Twitter at? Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe on Twitter at?
2: Uh, j Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S.
0: We'll be back next week. Until then, so long. So long. So long.